This is us. That's the name of the series that we've been doing throughout the summer that talks about the values we have as a church. We thought, what a great idea to walk through the summer so that we're all on the same page as we head into the fall. And these values are things that arise from Scripture that we want to be about as a church, that underscore the decisions and the choices we make as a church and the directions that we go. And they're meant to help us accomplish our purpose or mission statement, which again rises out of a study of dozens and dozens and dozens, perhaps a hun- couple hundred of verses of Scripture that our leadership undertook. In fact, I'd like us to say our vision purpose statement together. It's on the wall behind me. Let's, let's say that together. To exalt Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, therefore in his power, while demonstrating his love, we will reach, teach, and equip people to know, love, and serve him. So um, we try to offer ourselves and say, Lord, help these things to be true. We need your spirit's filling. We need your empowerment to do these things. And so through the summer, we've been doing these seven values. And the seven values that we try to biblically subscribe to are prayer, discipleship, community, worship, missions. Last week, we talked about the word of God. And today, we're going to talk about giving. How do we want to be viewed when it comes to giving? How do we want to see scripture and 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 what kinds of approaches do we want to take based on what scripture says about the kind of church we want to be when it comes to giving so this angel appears one day at this faculty meeting and and everybody is sort of stunned and looking at at this angel and he points out the the dean and he says listen dean you have, you've just been very selfless in your approach and giving to the community. And so God has decided to reward you with a choice of one of three things, either wealth, beauty, or wisdom. Well, immediately, the dean says, well, I'll take wisdom. And so the angel says, done, and he's gone. There's just a hush in the room. And finally, someone works up the nerve and leans over and whispers to him and says, say something. And the dean looks at the crowd and he says, I should have taken the money. Yeah. <laughs> That's not one of how, how we want to be viewed as a church. As a church, we want to be known as people that get into giving rather than getting into taking. We want the community around us to say, that is a place that gives. A place that if that building and those people disappeared tomorrow they would be deeply missed in the community because that is a place where I may not, in the community, they're looking at us going, may not agree with everything they say and all that stuff, but that is a place that gives, a place that focuses on being sacrificial and selfless in their interactions with the community and with the world. That's the kind of place we want to be known as, a place that gives rather than a place that takes. Let's pray together for a moment before we look into God's word. Father, as we bow in your presence now, how grateful we are that you're here. How grateful that by your spirit you're here. But we just welcome you to speak to us now. We pray and thank you so much for the gift of your word, which 
Um, earlier we were talking about how the creation is, is worshiping you, and we want to worship you as well. And this is absolutely true, but your word also just gives us indications of who you are, very specially and specifically. And so would you speak to us from your word now? We offer ourselves to that end. And we invite you to touch us in a way that's uh, life-giving and life-changing. We pray these things now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Some people find it very hard to be a giving person. And sadly, they kind of have a hoarding mentality. And they miss so much joy in life when they don't begin to appreciate this value of being a biblically giving person. But there's also people on the other side of the spectrum that find it equally hard to receive. Um, my wife... Um, when someone tries to give her something, she's always very appreciative of that. And she honors the gift that that person is exercising in giving whatever it is they want to give to her. When we were first married, um, I wasn't that way. I enjoyed giving immensely, and I still do. But I found it very hard to receive. And she pointed this out to me one day. And really at the root of this was this pride, this sense of, I can be self-sufficient. And she said to me, how dare you diminish and stop those people from exercising the gift that God has put in their life to be a person who gives? Because when people would try to give us a gift, I would always be really hesitant. And as she pointed this out to me, I got alone with God and I said, came back to her and said, you know, you're absolutely right. And uh, God's been and continues to do a work in my life in that area. Some people find it very hard to give. Some people find it hard to receive. And in each case, can I just be blunt with you here for a second? The focus is a self-centeredness. Now, fortunately, and in a blessing way, Many people in our church understand about giving and they understand about receiving well and they do so with great liberty and joy and I just say, may Jesus bless you because you have that kind of attitude. You know, giving is not only about contributing financially, it's about the giving of our time and our energy and our effort and our resources, the very giftedness that God has imparted to us. It has very, very little to do with our financial state, about how much time we have, because we all have the same amount, or about how many gifts God has given to us. The amount is never the focus. The level of sacrifice is. You know, when we're looking at people, oftentimes we tend to give to what we love, don't we? Human be beings are very creative, and when they love something or someone or some place, they find a way to give to it. Let's, let's look into God's word now to hear what he has to say about what the kind of the approach we should have as a church when it comes to giving. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Luke, which is the third book in the New Testament, Luke chapter 6. This is a passage where Jesus is speaking. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 27. 
Luke chapter 6. Jesus says this, But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. But if someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks of you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But if you love your enemy, do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back, then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use it will be measured to you so what does jesus have to say about cultivating this value of being a place that gives a place that gets into giving rather than a place that gets into taking well right in those opening verses he begins to to make these sort of really when we first look at them, they just look like totally out there statements, outlandish statements almost. And he, the first thing he says is, as a church and as individual believers, I want you to be the kind of people that return good for evil. That return good for evil. You've heard me say on numerous occasions before, as a biblical believer, we're never called on to tolerate evil. There's nowhere in this Bible where God goes, yeah, go ahead and sin, that's a good thing, I encourage that. He never does that. He always calls us not to do that. So that's not what this passage is saying. But there um, are, as believers, we're called to return good for evil when it comes to our personal positions. And this is the kind of stuff Jesus is beginning to say that sets us apart in a very distinctive way. And as the persecution continues to grow in our culture, and if nothing changes, if there's no revival, it is going to continue to grow. Increasingly, we see signs all the time that we are being viewed as the enemy in this culture. The people that need to be marginalized, the people that need to be silenced, the people that need to be disregarded. And more and more of these passages are going to have to become real in our life. We can't do this in your own strength. We do this through the power of the filling of the Spirit. When the evil continues to come against us, Jesus says, return evil for good. Be known as these kind of people who love their enemies, who don't just tolerate very unnatural for us to do that. Very unnatural for us to love our enemies. And again, I remind you, the Bible never encourages us to let sin continue. 
not what I'm saying. But Jesus is saying, I will help you to turn the other cheek in terms of our personal response. Nothing grabs the attention of the world when, as when a Christian loves them after they've had evil done to them. This pastor I know, uh, in his church, there was a person in his church that I think it would be fair to say hated him. And every Sunday when, when this guy would preach, the pastor would preach, this guy would go home, and he would listen to the sermon on the podcast or whatever, and he would transcribe the sermon word for word on his computer. And then he would print it out, and he would take a red pen, and he would circle every place in that sermon where, you know, the, 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 the pastor stumbled or made a grammatical error or said, you know, I don't agree with you here. You're out to, how could you not have said this? You're out to lunch there, and just on and on. And then he would send it to the pastor by registered mail every week. Real pick-me-up on Monday. So what did this pastor do? And you know what? I don't know how I'd react to that. I, I, I don't know. But this guy, every Sunday after he said amen as the service concluded, he would go down to the seat where this guy was sitting. And this guy would sit like this with his arms crossed every week. And this pastor would go down. He would physically unfold this guy's arms, shake his hand, and say, I'm glad you're here and I love you. After a couple of years of this happening virtually every week, the pastor and his two kids are riding on their bikes, little kids, past this guy's house. Pastor stops, says to his little daughter, I want you to do something. The little daughter goes to the door, knocks on the door. The wife of this gentleman answers the door. The little girl goes inside. The man sitting in a chair didn't get up when she came in. Little girl goes over to him, gives him a big hug, and says, our family loves you. And that finally broke that man. And he got down on his knees, and he repented of his sin. And God forgave him, and there was healing in the relationship between him and the pastor. And it was beautiful. This is the way it's supposed to work. Jesus says, return good for evil. Kill them with kindness. This is what biblical giving looks like. And Jesus is saying, we really begin to reflect our level of Christian maturity by how we respond to people who treat us wrongly. We want to be a church that returns good for evil. A place that gives. Then Jesus says a church that uh, is getting into giving rather than in getting into taking is a place that elevates society. And we see this in verse 31, often referred to or, you know, post-writing as the golden rule. So it says in verse 31, do to others as you would have them do to you. If you study the other religions and religious writings of the world and many of the philosophical writings of the world, you're going to find the golden rule in some form in many of those religious writings and philosophical writings. For example, in Judaism, uh, Rabbi Hillel writes, what is hateful to you, do not do to another. 
a philosopher in Alexandria writes, what you hate to suffer, do not do to anyone else. Socrates wrote, what things that make you angry when you suffer them at the hand of another, do not do those to other people. Confucius wrote, what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Now let's just think about those statements for a second. Uh, I'm glad they wrote those things. And I'm not being too negative here, but did you notice something about them? An interesting thing about each one of those statements is they were all written in the negative. When you don't want something done to you, then don't do it to others. In other words, I don't want to get kicked in the shins, so I'm not going to go and kick them in the shins. It's a lot easier to not do what you don't want done to you than to do what you don't want to do. That's the difference here. Jesus says in this verse, in a very positive way, do to others. Do to others. Be the one who initiates. Be the one who is the healer. We want to be a place that gives, that elevates our community. That as I said earlier, if this place just disappeared tomorrow, there'd be a yawning gap in our community. Wow, we really miss those people. There was something about them and the way they gave. So Jesus says, one of the things I want you to be known as a church, and we try to make decisions based on this, is that we're a place that rolls up our sleeves and walks into the area of really sour human relationships and do for them what they wish they would do what you wish they would do for you. So what are some of the things? Let me, I just came up with a little list of some of the things that we often wish others would do for us. And Jesus says, be the initiator in these kinds of ways. You could come up with lots of other examples. Let me give you three or four. I like it when others give me the benefit of the doubt. Or at least give me a chance to explain. I think we all like that, don't we? And so be the initiator. Do unto others. Be the healer in the relationship. I like it when they give me, someone says, I like it when they give me another chance to do better next time. Because we all blow it sometimes, right? And so I really like it when they extend grace to me and give me a second chance. So Jesus says, in the area of the community, in the area of relationships, be willing to give a second chance. Once in a while, we all like it when others admit also that they've made a mistake. So maybe in a way of being the healer and being the initiator, it's time for us to admit our mistakes first. A place that gives. Jesus carries on in the next verses and he says, when you're giving... It's just going to be radical giving. Radical giving. Giving that just does not occur to us off the top of our heads. Giving that sets us apart in the community in very interesting ways. And so he says in verse 32, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. 
And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Wow, that's not what our first thoughts typically are, are they? Sometimes there are people who say, you know, I don't give of my time because I don't have any. And I don't give God, for example, my tithe, which, you know, Scripture is just very clear. There's, you know, he gets the first fruits. It's just all through the Bible. Right off the top, before we pay taxes or anything else, we tithe and then we do offerings on top of that. And by doing this, we're saying, I love you, God, because you first loved me. We sang about that earlier, about how he's gifted us and provided for us. And then out of that, we allow that to flow through us to others. We're saying, I love you, God, and I trust you, God. And so I give in radical ways. So sometimes people don't want to do that because they say, I don't have the financial wherewithal or I don't use the gifts that God has given me for his agenda because, frankly, I'm busy on my own agenda. Let me just say, giving has nothing to do with what your job is or how much money you make. You don't get it if that's what you're thinking. Those things that we sometimes say are just excuses we use to justify our actions or lack thereof. As I hinted earlier, we give to what we love. And we give to what is important to us. And we don't give to what we don't love. And we don't take time for what not, is not important to us. I think often we're encouraged to give to that which we think will give us a good return. And we don't like to admit this, but deep down that's the secret motivation. And Jesus says... I want to do a whole heart change in your life and in your church where we become radical givers in a way that goes beyond the norm to take stock of the things that have been entrusted to us, to be deeply grateful for those things, to understand, as we've talked about many times, there's nothing the Bible says, there's nothing we now have that we did not receive. I'm grateful for these things, God. I realize they're all yours anyways. They all come from you. I surrender them to you. Now, how do you want me to use them? And I can see from this and other passages, you want me to be a radical giver. It doesn't totally make sense to me. But I'm going to do what you would have me do. I'm going to return good for evil. That doesn't make sense, humanly speaking. I'm going to elevate the society. I'm going to be a radical giver. And then the passage wraps up by saying, and this is very important that you understand the context of this passage, when all of those things are in play, when these values are being um, perpetrated in our life or, or it being experienced in our life and in our church, when all of those things are true, then verse 38 in context, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so Jesus says, listen, a place that understands these values, this approach to giving, 
this selfless approach that gives this way and receives this way will receive blessings from unexpected places. Now, some people will look at this verse, and often they'll just look at this verse without looking at the context. And they'll, they'll, they come up with these ideas like, you know, they, they might even refer to earlier in the passage. Listen, if you, if you give your coat to someone, then automatically, if I look at verse 38, that means I'm going to get a better coat in return. Or if I give someone a hundred bucks, I'm going to get $500 back in return. And the passage doesn't actually say that, does it? Now, does God ever bless financially as a result of that kind of giving? Sometimes he does, absolutely. He will often do that, but he probably much more often blesses in different ways that are not always as readily apparent to us or ways that we weren't expecting or ways that we didn't recognize how valuable that blessing really was until he actually does it. And I have a very strong sense that when we get to heaven, we are going to be blown away when, we st- when, when the veil is rolled back and we say the way God has cared for us and provided for us and protected us and blessed us in ways that just totally flew under the radar for us and we never noticed. And so this verse 38, it may take the form of a financial blessing. It could, though, also be um, acceptance where you were once rejected. And the, and the issues may not be directly related. God does that sometimes. It could be that, that forgiveness in your life will be processed where it's either given or received. And is there anything sweeter than real forgiveness in life? That instead of a grudge, there's love. There's care. Perhaps it's a renewed relationship that's the blessing. Perhaps there's some safety. Perhaps there's some peace that, again, we don't connect the dots to what our other actions, but God has done that. Perhaps the blessing is that God says no to a thing we really think we want. How often in life do we look back, perhaps years later, and go, I am so glad God said no to that thing that I really thought I wanted, that I prayed for. I'm so glad he said no. Because I can see now what he saw and how horrible that would have been. All things that money can't buy. We might, the blessing might come in the form of we might be supernaturally supported to move through very difficult circumstances in life that quite frankly remain unchanged for a long time. That might be the blessing. At UDAC, one of the values we want to be known for is a place that gives rather than takes. And so, um, we do some things that on the surface seem somewhat nonsensical. We do a lot of things for our community that are free. Once in a while, we'll charge for something, often not the full value of what it costs. And the only time we do that is when we realize that will really raise the value of whatever that particular event is. We don't ever turn people away that can't afford it. We say, come. We got your back. And so we'll do the Whoop Up barbecue for free, and we're going to talk more about that next week because we want to illustrate to our community that we love them. 
that Jesus loves them in a way that leaves them scratching their head a little bit. That's such a good thing. We do the parking lot passes for students. You know, once in a while I'll have people say to me, why don't we charge those students for those parking lot passes? And you know, frankly, we could. They lined up starting at 10 o'clock at night last year, and the thing didn't start till noon the next day. We could probably charge them 100 or 150 bucks or maybe more per person. I'm sure we could. Why don't we? We want to practice radical giving like this passage calls us to do. Giving that honors God, giving that illustrates to them something is going on here that it's hard to put into words. I've had a number of them out in the community and at these events. They're a little nervous, but they'll come up and they'll say things like this. Why, why would you do that? And, you know, I have a variety of answers, but one of them is, is we'll say things like this. We just wanted to give you a little taste, just a little taste of what Jesus has done for every one of us. And so we invite people to give to those kinds of things, to give sacrificially to those kinds of things, to give sacrificially to missions. We engage, you heard about Jessica Kenobi, uh, Rachel that just headed back to North Africa. There's many other missionaries that we partner with because um, we want to give them the means so that they can share with Jesus, with people we will never see more than likely this side of heaven. That's radical giving. And we encourage people to give sacrificially. We want to be able to share the gospel. We want to be able to feed kids that come to school that don't have breakfast. We want to show Jesus in practical ways. And when we do this, the grace and love of Christ ends up being shared to an increasingly, you know, the society is becoming more and more cynical all the time. But I think it cracks the door of receptivity open just a little bit when you do this radical giving. And I would argue that it happens either right at the moment or I also believe it might well happen later in life when they have that crisis in life, when they come to that uh, moment of crossroads in their life and they're reminded, you know, that church back when I was in university or back when I was living in Lethbridge, I'm living in Calgary now, that church, they were pretty good to me. Maybe I should check God out. And I have a sense we're going to get to heaven and there's going to be so many stories where people are going to go, that, that, that moved me one step closer to Jesus because of that outrageous giving that your church did. And I finally came to the place where I bowed the knee, where I surrendered my life to Jesus, where I invited him to, to forgive my sins, to be my savior, and I committed my life to him. And he became the Lord and the leader and the master of my life. And I began that personal relationship with Jesus. At UDAC, we want to be known as a place that gets into giving rather than gets into taking.